Weston McKenney. Pushes ahead, Weah. Weah, Pulisic! That's two for the American captain! USA 2, Mexico 0, Dos Acero! Americas live and underway from Las Vegas, Nevada. We got our logo on the stadium, a stadium that has just witnessed something historic on one of the craziest nights in North American soccer history. The U.S. men's national team, 3-0 winners over Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. And, Herc, that wasn't even the biggest story of the night. <laughs> it appears, according to reports, the first of which came from Paul Tenorio of The Athletic, he was literally sitting right in front of us in the press box when he tweeted it, that Greg Berhalter is coming back to be announced potentially as early as tomorrow. Has there ever been a, a crazier night in American soccer? I, I can't think of one. Yeah. I, I mean, just as far as emotions. Yep. Swings, no, not. There's been big games, but there's never been a big na game news combo like this. Just, it's just the buildup, Sebi. It's the buildup to everything. We've never had a moment like this. I mean, just as recently as this morning, you were talking about Patrick Vieira, mm -hmm. or yesterday, I should say, Patrick Vieira, and it was this morning, Jesse Mark out. Yeah. No longer an option per his uh, agent, Ron Waxman. And then literally right before the game starts, this news breaks, yep. and in the game itself. Yeah, I mean, the game it, was crazy. I mean, uh, the game almost takes a backseat to this news, but the game was one of the more memorable, I think, USA. Mexico games that we've seen uh, in quite some time. So look, we got a lot coming up on this show. Mauricio Pedrosa is going to join us in just a little bit. We're going to kind of hit the Mexico side of things. Surely there will be a lot of fallout there. Uh, as Diego Coca, we talked about whether he was in, in danger, under pressure or not. Uh, no question about now. The pressure is, is certainly uh, there. We are going to talk about Greg Berhalter. Producer Beto and I had a, had, a, had a fight before the show. Do we start with the game? Do we start with the Greg Berhalter news? It's tough. We got, I feel like we got to start with the game. Right? You, you have to, especially a game like that, which was historic for both sides. And, uh, and we do have some other news uh, as well from around the rest of the oh. world, some coaching news that we'll try to get to before we're all said and done here on Football Americas. But uh, let's start with the game. Just your first, your first reaction from that incredible, incredible 90 minutes. I should say almost 90 minutes. The game stopped before the full 90 minutes. No, the, the game stopped 97. 97. Well, yeah, but we didn't get to full 90 minutes of play. There's 12 minutes added yeah. on, and we didn't even play the full 12. Yeah, I, if I could just say one thing mm -hmm. it's embarrassing on so many levels just embarrassing the year is 2023 and there's a, a PA having to plead with fans not to be homophobic the year 2023 and then just the reactions on the field yeah you know we had to come back to this record site because it would have been impossible yeah. to to walk from the stadium here in time to, to bring this to you guys and I was watching uh, the Spanish call, mm -hmm. the Spanish broadcast, and Kikin Fonseca of 2DNA, ex-Mexican national team mm -hmm. player, was just stressing how embarrassing yeah. it he was. He used the word vergüenza. Vergüenza. It's shameful. It's shameful. It's a shameful and embarrassing moment. And it's moment. not just, it is, the, it is the attitude of the fans. That's it's the behavior of the fans. It's the team. It's the players. Well, that's it's everything. That's involved. why he was saying it's yeah. a vergüenza. They're not, it's, this isn't a fitting image of how you could represent or should represent mm -hmm. the Mexican national team. And he's right. And I will say also, uh, the U.S. played very well. Very well. But getting sucked into that, mm -hmm. now Weston McKinney, Serginho Dest, two players who played very yeah. well, very well, won't be available for the final against Canada, which will not be easy. So you have to 
learn to deal with these type of things. But just overall, an embarrassment um, from what I saw on the field. But then you have to go the positive. Yeah. What a performance. What a performance. What a performance. Do, do you think that we saw an American team playing free of pressure, not just in the collective, but individuals who have been coming off tough seasons, compared to a Mexican team that seemed to not shrink under the pressure, choke under it, Crumble. disappear Crumble. under it. Yes. it you, you, we talk about it all the time. There's always more pressure on the Mexican players. You would think that they would be accustomed to it. Today we saw not just a, a player, a group of players, I think also a, a manager in Diego Coca shrink under the pressure. They played fear, they played with fear, and the Americans played fearless. And you saw that in the score and in the way the game played out. Yeah, you're also talking about a team that's trying new players in uh, Israel Reyes. Mm -hmm. You talk about the pressure. He's not used to this national team pressure. He's not used to having that type of game or having that type of uh, under the lights performance. Mm -hmm. And it showed in a few other players. But these are players who aren't coming in the end of their season. They're on vacation right now, mm -hmm. a lot of these players. Playing against players who, yes, haven't had the best of seasons, but see the U.S. men's national team as an opportunity mm -hmm. to escape, as a refresher. And you saw that today in their play. The U.S. men's national team was freer. The U.S. men's national team was sprier. The U.S. men's national team had a little bit of a, uh, just arrogance to their mm -hmm. game. I mean, first 10, 15 minutes, I would say, was shaky. But from minute 20 on, there was one team on the field and only one team. I think... I'm going to have to dig really far into my memory banks to think about, you know, the, the last time I saw Mexico look this bad. Chile. I, yeah, no, it's a good shout. But from an American perspective, I'm trying to think, when was the last time they looked this good? Because they looked this good with the guy who, again, we've been calling the interim to the interim. That yeah. has to say something about this program. It does. Listen, I said that citing factor would be Diego Coca, and I was right. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it was Diego Coca, yeah. just not in the way that I thought. Uh, Anthony Hudson got a result on, on this Mexican national mm -hmm. team. Greg Berhalter got his results. And now it's the third coach, six consecutive games of getting a result, Mexican national team. And it's the interim to the interim. And it just goes to prove how good the player pool is mm. and, and how maybe we were wrong all along. In and, what way? In what way? Well, nobody's trying to change things. They're trying to keep right. things going. Right. And these players, I think, knew deep down. Is that what you think? Yeah. Yes. And you made that a Greg Berhalter's coming back. Yeah, you made yeah. a comment, and we'll get to that, but you yeah. made a comment the other day of, like, sure feels like a Greg Berhalter call-up talking mm. about Gold Cup. Yeah. These players never missed a beat. If there's one thing Greg Berhalter did was know how to play against Mexico, these players know how to play against Mexico. But they performed, and it's very surprising in the way they performed because a lot of these players weren't having great seasons individually. Yeah, totally. Christian Pulisic, I mean, he looked sharp. Ooh, he, looked he was good. flying. Let's Virginia go Virginia Dest, yeah. he was flying. Yeah, these are all guys. Um, Weston McKinney, you could say, not coming off a great season. Um, had a good game as well. Let's get into the game-changing moment because in the first half, there was at least a 15-20 minute spell early on where I don't think you could really say either team was in control of the game. Then around the 20-21 minute, Christian Pulisic came to life. He had a great chance that he missed, but it's the goal that is our game-changing moment because you always say goals change games, and certainly this one did. Yeah, I tweeted right before this about Christian Pulisic. You know, he reminds me so much of Landon Donovan. And Landon Donovan is a household name of Mexican fans. Not because Landon Donovan did well in Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. Because Landon Donovan did so well against Mexican national team. Christian Pulisic is well on his way to being a Mexican uh, household name. This was the easiest or the most difficult, I should say, of the two finishes he had. He had a finish where he actually dragged the defensive back line yeah. of Mexico. Just mm -hmm. absolutely dragged him. And then skied it over. And you thought for a second, uh-oh, yeah. this could be in his head. Uh-oh, this could be bad. And no, it was the exact opposite. He grew into it. He's a player that I'm really starting to – he's growing on me. 
in the sense of that chip on his shoulder. Let me ask you this, because you always compare him to Landon Donovan, and sometimes I think you mean that in a positive way, and other times I don't think you mean it in a positive way. Correct. I think you mean it more as like his personality, he's shy. I think Christian Pulisic is a shy guy. When we yeah. do interviews with him, he, he's not super outspoken, he's no, not he's super not. engaged. Um, but what we do see is a guy who is a leader and who people, even if he's not loud, follow. There's a moment where he scores on Memo Cho in World Cup qualifying, he lifts up the shirt. That's not a shy person that no, does it. That's a confident guy. And a guy who always seems to show up in the big games, even when he doesn't play well against Mexico, he scores against Mexico. That is a that is a leader. That is uh, not not to say that he's not like Landon Donovan, but the thing that you're comparing there is, is not the same. He does have a huge personality, Christian Pulisic. It's just not a talking personality. He's gonna. He's 25, he's in mid-20s, and he's already tied. Like you're talking about Landon Donovan's record against Mexico. Pulisic's met it already. Yeah. And he's surely going to pass it. He's surely going to pass it. I mean, listen, if he's going to pass Landon Donovan in that Mexican folklore, he, he needs to do it in a World Cup like Landon Donovan okay. did. Wow. But Christian Pulisic, is on, he, he's in a different table right now. You know, when we talk about who's at the mesa, who's at the table, mm -hmm. who can sit at this table. What are you saying, like top dogs in CONCACAF, elite players in CONCACAF? Which is weird because we probably might, wouldn't have said that. Like, we would have put Alfonso Davies in his category, then maybe Christian Pulisic and a few others. But what you see in this performance is a guy who does not need good club form. No. He rocks up in this shirt, and he balls out. Yeah, we talk about the best players in CONCACAF all the time, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when it comes to the Mexican national team, our, our colleague Mar Mariso Pedrosa, when I talk about Alfonso Davies being the best mm -hmm. player in CONCACAF, he quickly comes with Chucky Lozano. Ask yourself who in this Mexican pool has the most goals on the U.S. men's national team. Do you know who it is? Who? It's Uriel Antuna, who? too. Right. Christian Pulisic has cemented himself on a different category when we're talking about this rivalry. He is that man. He is him right now at this moment, and he seems to just grow with the Mexican national team. Like, any time he's not doing well overseas, if he comes back and it's Mexican national, if he comes back, that's a refresher for him. Yeah. And he carries that on. He looked spry. He looked fit. He looked fresh. He looked up for the challenge. Yeah. He's also your man of the match. Easy yeah. pick. Yeah, very easy pick. Yeah. I, I mean, if anybody needed to have a big game, um, it would have been Christian Pulisic. And it was. Yeah. In the absence of Tyler Adams, in the absence of having a player that is so vital for your game, your best player, because mm -hmm. I firmly believe he is still your best player, he needs to show up. And that he did. He was massive all game, and just his runs were so strong. This is a guy that oftentimes I look and I'm like, oh, like it, it's frustrating because you're like, he's got these intangibles, the speed, the directness, the arrogance about his game, and oftentimes he doesn't use it. He used everything in that toolkit today. Does he make a case here for most important player? You've often said that that's Tyler Adams before. We saw the U.S. not just survive but thrive without Tyler Adams. I don't know that they could have got through this game or honestly any of the other big games in recent memory without Christian. Pulisic. That's a fair shout. Yeah. It really is. I mean, Tyler Adams, to me, is the most important player in this pool because he's a player so difficult to replace. But you look at Christian Pulisic's big game moments, that's very difficult mm -hmm. to replace. I mean, it's not just the Mexican national team. We're talking about the World Cup, his performances against England. We're talking about the World Cup, his performance uh, against Wales for mm -hmm. the assist. Also performance against Iran with the goal. He's had some massive moments so far. Any goal against Mexico is a massive moment. But when it's one nothing at halftime and you assume that Mexico is going to come out firing when you score the goal and in that you are him moment in the 46th minute and you kind of shut the door right there that to me is a power move and it's so great in the case of Christian Pulisic because it finishes off a beautiful team move maybe that one move is like the best soccer we've seen from the U.S. in I don't know 12 months 18 months that was started from a goal kick it started from the goal kick started all the way from the back it was a beautiful uh, pattern of play mm -hmm. those are the training ground patterns that you do 
very rarely do they come out in a game of this right. magnitude. It came out in a game of this magnitude. Listen, I knew that with the three center backs for Diego Coca, mm -hmm. they were going to struggle with the wingers. They were going to struggle with the pace of Weston, uh, I'm sorry, with Christian Pulisic, uh, of a Timothy Weah. But I didn't think they would struggle this bad. I didn't think, mm -hmm. I also didn't think that Christian Pulisic and the U.S. Men's National Team would have this kind of attitude. Yeah. The foot on the throat, you know, they, they keep going, pressing the pedal. It, like, they, they came out flying out of the gates in the second it's half. It's interesting you said that because I heard you on Ahora Nunca with Mauricio Pedrosa and he was saying that he felt the Americans kind of smelled blood. Yeah. You disagreed with him then, but now you, you agree with him. Um, I don't know if I still... I don't know if I agree with that sentiment because in the same in They the same know breath, the pressure Mexico's under. Right, they but know. in the same breath, is it still Mexico versus the U.S., right? How and, come and, one side feels the pressure and the other doesn't then? What are the Americans doing that allows them to well, not because, feel any pressure? Because I, I, I will say this openly. We are the only show putting pressure. Right, right. We are the only ones putting pressure in this American soccer sphere. In Mexico, there are about 100 of us Right. Okay, per capita. It's just a reality. That's what they live for. Right now, Diego Coca in that presser, I can guarantee you they mm. smell blood. I can guarantee you Diego Coca... Somebody's nervously. asking him if he's going to resign, probably, in the next Absolutely. half hour if they haven't the uh, done is, it already. In this bubble, there are not enough of those mm -hmm. people in the media. Uh, so you gave the men in the match to the obvious choice, Christian Pulisic. I wanted to be a little bit different. Uh, so I want to go to the midfield, because to me, that's kind of a critical area. We talk yeah. so much about Tyler Adams. How are they going to survive yeah, without yeah. him? All the times that we've seen this U.S. midfield without Tyler Adams in the past, they've looked terrible. Even when it's been McKinney and Musa having to do the job. Against Granada or El Salvador. I would like I, I would like to pick them both out. Producer Beto lets me go with Musa and McKinney. I'll give the extra nod to McKinney here. I know the red card hurts looking forward, but it's yeah. an iconic moment. He gets the shirt ripped off. He bull charges Cesar Montes. He's kissing the jersey. Um, if, if, if we believe what you've said, which is that the Nations League doesn't really matter to U.S. soccer, and we're still focused on 2026 and not 2023, then having that moment for Weston McKinney, I think is huge, especially for a guy who, as we mentioned, is not coming off the best club season. So McKinney, Musa for me, obviously Pulisic man of the match, but those guys really deserve some credit. I mean, especially when you had so just many idiotic comments, and, uh, and I know a lot of this is online and whatnot, but that Weston is overweight. Weston doesn't play Well, a lot of us well. come from bitter Leeds fans. No, but that's what I'm yeah, saying. But yeah. a, lot, a lot of other people buy into this. They buy into this notion of, you know, the, the reason Leeds got a relegate mm -hmm. is because these Americans are no good. Weston McKinney's a very good player. There's a reason teams like Juventus and Leeds spend money on Weston McKinney. He is that type of player. But I had my doubts in that double pivot because yeah. he struggled versus Granada, because there was a struggle versus uh, El Salvador. But he's a very good player, and he seems to be up for the moments. This isn't the only iconic moment we've seen against mm -hmm. Mexico. We've literally seen Mexican players wrap their hands around yep. his neck. He seems to always be there. They talk about, you know, puffing out your chest, yeah. you know, being that player. He is that player uh, in this type of moment. It, it was a great performance by both. Yunus was very good. Yeah, Moose and McKinney deserve a lot of credit. I think part of the answer to that question is also Mexico's midfield was bad, but we'll leave that for when uh, yes. Mauricio Pedrosa shows yes, up in we'll just a little that. bit. Uh, why don't we take a look at BJ Callahan's starting 11? Because a lot of times when Greg Berhalter would put out starting 11s, U.S. Men's National League Twitter would go crazy, and I don't mean in a good way, in a bad way. I don't think there was one complaint about this 11, Herc. That would have been my 11. It would have been my 11. I mean, I wouldn't have experimented with Johnny Cardozo uh, as, as a six, not, not in the game of this magnitude. You don't know what, it, what it's going to be like. I would have gone Musa and McKinney and hoped that they would have had this type of performance or anywhere close to it. And I would have put Gio in that 10 spot. And Gio was very good in the first half in that 10 spot. He created a lot. And the wing play. Yeah. The wing play. You heard me say it time and time again in the build-up to this game. That was going to be the most important thing. It was what? 
Timothy Weah could do. It was what Christian Pulisic could do and, and go from there. But you're right. This is a, a lineup, a, an 11 that not too many people had, you know, any quarrels about. It's funny you say the wing play because we were watching the first half. Obviously, we had to leave at halftime to kind of get back to our position here and watch the second half. And you kept pointing out the American outside backs weren't getting forward as much. So what you're telling me first is that... First 15 minutes, right, yeah, yeah. So what you're telling me is that the U.S. was able to be dangerous through the flanks without really risking wow. your Sergio Desk and risking first, your Jedi. The first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Did you think, like, Desk and Jedi were that involved? Uh, the game progressed? Yes. Really? Okay. Yes. I mean, there was... There were times when Serginho just started doing like no look passes, and you're like, all right, he's starting to feel yeah, himself yeah. again. And then 30 got, yards from his own goal, <laughs> he would get out of some crazy things in yeah. the final third uh, against Mexico, and you're like, okay, he's coming mm -hmm. into his own. But everything after the 20th minute, Serginho was flying. Serginho looked like the Serginho of old. Uh -huh. We had that listed there as kind of a 4-3-3. Really, it functioned more as a 4-2-3-1, yeah, right? Two. So it is, it is different than what Greg Berhalter was doing. Some of that is probably by force, right? You have to do it because you don't have Tyler Adams to leave in there as a 4-3-3. By force. Okay. Yes. It's but all it, by force. Hey, but it worked pretty good. And yeah. and to something that we've been hearing since the World Cup, there has been a clamoring from some parts of the U.S. fan base to see this lineup or something like this because it allows you to get three playmakers on instead of just two. And I, and I think for that reason, you could see some excitement about this about this formation. I could see some people wanting to go to this formation moving forward. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is who do you take out because Tyler Adams comes back in, he's coming back in. Yep, so who yep. do you take out? Are you taking out Gio? Mm -hmm. Taking out Gio Reyna in that 10 spot, who looked very good. You taking out Weston McKinney, who was a baller today. You taking out Eunice Musa, who's instrumental in the connection of that defensive line to the forward line. It, you know, the, the next coach is going to have some problems. Greg Berhalter sometimes was criticized for being too conservative. Is this a case where BJ Callahan kind of has the the opportunity, the ability? And again, with no Tyler Adams, just to be like, hey, let's try to be the most aggressive that we can be. Is that why we saw that? Do you think we saw a coach who had nothing to lose today with that formation? No, I think you saw. That was just, that was what he thought. That wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to go for it. That was genuinely what he thought was the best approach to deal with Mexico. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're going to talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. for Halter. But something tells me, and I'll get into it. That Greg Berhalter's been involved more than we realized. Yeah. No, I mean, BJ Callen has said it, that he and Berhalter still talk. That Berhalter didn't have influence over the roster selections, but there still uh, certainly seems to be some communication there. Let's go. Let's, uh, let's grade the superstar player that we were all waiting to see. Fuller and Balligan hurt, yeah. got his first start for the United States. It comes against Mexico. He didn't get the goal. He got, what, about 75 minutes? Yeah. What grade are you giving him? I'll give him a B. It's very difficult wow. to come into okay. a, a brand-new team with, what, a handful of training sessions and, and be the player you know you can be, right? Uh, have your teammates around you know your runs, mm -hmm. understand your movements, understand your tendencies, understand the timing, that type of thing. So I'll, I'll let that slide. Mm -hmm. But the, the effort, the fight, the understanding of the moment uh, when Cesar Montes got red carded is because for, it was because Flo Balligan like yep. literally chased him down 40 yards, chased him down, won the ball, and then drew the foul, and that's why he got red carded. He was up for the moment. And not everybody understands a game like this. And, and for that to be your debut, I thought he was solid. We've not even come close to seeing Flo. We've not come close to seeing what this player is about, but I thought it was a, a solid beat. Wow. I, I give him a C-, minus, which for me is kind of like the lowest passing grade possible. A lot of that hurt has... D is the passing grade. Yeah, yes, I know, I know. <laughs> but D is also not a bad grade. You don't want to come home with a D. You know, right, C minus, right. you can still, you know... That seems a little harsh. C's, you, you get the I think that's more your that expectation. Way. Trust me. Yeah, I think, well, that's what it is. It is the expectation. Okay. I mean, this is a guy who dropped 20 goals in, in a top five 21. league in the world. So I think that he should come in and, and, and have... 
if not a goal impact, Turk, a visual impact. I don't really feel like I noticed him too much in the game. It was everybody else yeah. uh, that was standing out. And I think if you're a guy like Ricardo Pepe, you see Balogun's performance and you say, okay, hey, I still got a shot at this starting job. Oh. I don't think Ricardo Pepe thinks anybody's in front of him. Well, that's a Ricardo Pepe thing. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, if he but looks at the depth chart, he knows Balogun's in front of him because Balogun just walked into this team and is a oh, starter. Time out, time out. Pepe just bagged the goal. And Pepe, Pepe's the reason that Greg Berhalter kept his job okay. in the opening window. So you start Pepe on Sunday? Time. I think you have to. Really? Yeah. Why? Because Balogun didn't do enough or because Pepe didn't more? more? A little bit of both, okay. not only that, but because also you just played Balogun 70-something odd minutes, right? And the short turnaround. So it might make sense to give Ricardo Pepe a little run there and let Balogun come off the bench and see if he could be that dangerous person. What's the difference in Balogun and Pepe in terms of what they bring to the attack and maybe what they make the U.S. play like? Or are they are they like for like in that way? No, I, I think Pepe's much more of a forward that can combine. A little back to goal, a little very more. Very much. He's very silky. He can combine. I think Flo is a player that's going to go at you and direct. I think you need to play him through. Can I, I ask who fits this team more? Because I, what it sounds to me, especially I'm thinking of all the incredibly talented wide underneath central midfield players, I need a combiner more than I need a finisher? Or is that the stupidest thing you can say about a forward? <laughs> right. You know, you need a finisher more than you need anything else, yeah. The reality is there are going to be games where one's suited more than the other because of the opponent. Really? Uh, yes, yes. You may play against a team that's just aggressive. I mean, we've just been hyping rest. Balogun up to the high heavens, and now we're going he's, he's, a, he's a rotation guy? No, I'm not saying he's a rotation guy, but everybody you put in front of Ricardo Pepe, when it comes to the national team, Ricardo Pepe just keeps scoring goals, and he keeps having good moments. Yep. What do you want me to say? Like, back to the end of the line, Ricardo Pepe? Listen, Ricardo Pepe still wants to remind people that he's here. And Flo Balogun, he committed, and that is great, but you still need to prove that you're here as well. It's not that easy, like, hey, I committed, I'm a guaranteed starter. That's not how it works. You get an opportunity, you need to do well. I think he did well enough. It's a B. Mm. Next game against Canada, I may go Ricardo Pepe because Flow played a very physical 70-plus minutes. Yeah. Forgot to mention Canada off the top of the show. They, of course, beat Panama in the uh, earlier semifinals, so they'll be in the, in the final Sunday against the United States. We'll have a, a full preview of that on tomorrow's edition of Football Americas on at the normal time. Let's go big picture here, Herc. Uh, what does this victory mean for the United States as a program moving forward? And we'll stay away from the Burhalter stuff, so I guess let's make this more about the players and maybe the, the interim coach. <laughs> These players, for as much as we've criticized them, I called them soft. I called this mm -hmm. generation of players soft and a Greg Berhalter, they've been through some very difficult moments, and they've responded. And not only that, but if they come out victorious this Sunday, I, I keep saying Canada is top dog, and Mexico maybe historically, but the performance, the proof is in the pudding right there. If yeah. the U.S. can beat Canada, there is no qualms about it. They would be top dog in the region, and nobody could say a word. Yeah, this team must just be flying with confidence. I mean, you, you think about... you got to well, remember, you got to remember, those two red cards are important. Okay. It's it's Serginho Dest totally. and Weston McKinney who are two playmakers for you. I don't care where they both play. They're playmakers for you. They make things happen, and it's a very difficult and well-coached Canadian team mm -hmm. with some of their own playmakers. Well, it's definitely a, a boost for the confidence of like a lot of these guys, your desks, your McKinney's, uh, all those cats can say, hey, whatever's happening in my club, you know, I know I can come to the national team, I can find success here, and, and it's going to go well. And I think if you think about this generation of American players, Herc, like I was thinking about your generation, um, who kind of went through a good spell going off against great Mexico. Spell. Great spell. Great spell. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking specifically against Mexico, where there was, Mexico there, was, there was definitely a tide turn. But you still knew what it was like to lose to Mexico, to suffer against Mexico. Uh, speak this, for yourself. This group of players here, 
I mean, they've been a part of teams. Like, they, some of them were around in 2019, but together, they don't know what it's like to lose to Mexico. And that's a very powerful thing to have. No, they, they do. This generation, they do. Oh, when? They, they lost the Gold Cup 1 0. This was not this team. It was not this generation. It was Weston That was McKinney, Michael Bradley. Was that, come Pulisic. on. That was, what are you that, talking about? The 2019 Gold Cup? Go back and look at that roster for the 2019 Gold Cup and tell me how, how similar it is to this team. Christian Pulisic had a chance to put that game away in oh, the first half. Right, it's one guy, Christian Pulisic, one right. guy. There's okay. been a huge turnover in the national team from 2019 to 2023. Okay, you don't remember Serginho Dest's debut with Tecatillo Corona undressing That's him That's 2019, Herc. That's what I'm saying. But That's you know pre-pandemic. Like it's the before times. This group of players, they don't know what it's like to lose what to Mexico. What do you Mexico. mean? I, just I don't think they're going to go into ever a game against Mexico until until they lose, fearing this Mexican team. And no American well, generation has had that before. Um... No American generation has what this American generation now has on Mexico. I don't know. There was there was American oh, generation. Oh, when did you guys win three nothing? There was a, there was American ah, generation okay. that beat him in the World Cup. You forgetting about that one? Different. What happened years in in the next years? Mexico was right back on top. Her. No, they weren't. Seb. Look at the from the year 2000 to on. It's not right back on top. These numbers that you there's there's one year where the U.S. sends a, a B team in the Gold Cup and they send their A team the Confederations Cup and then Mexico wins that. What I'm saying is these numbers you can manipulate in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. I understand what you're trying to get at and I understand mm -hmm. the sentiment and maybe true. These players right now, they seem to have the upper hand against Mexico and they feel confident. But we've seen this rivalry. The tides turn so many times. Better than Mexico tonight and deeper than Mexico. That's the other yeah. thing we're learning about this, yeah. uh, this U.S. men's national Absolutely. team. Let's talk about the coach who we think will be in charge when this team finally does decide who their head coach will be. It broke about one minute, two minutes into the game tonight, courtesy of Paul Tenorio of The Athletic, who was first to report that Greg Berhalter is set to return as U.S. men's national team manager. We are expecting an announcement potentially as soon as tomorrow, which is maybe already today, depending if you're watching this. Oh, no, it is confirmed. Confirmed now, producer Bethel says we will get uh, an announcement tomorrow. Holy mackerel, Herc, a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Where do you want to start? I mean... I know you don't think it's the right choice. I, I don't, but I think it's a waste of time and resources. Um, you hired a, a firm to do this, mm -hmm. uh, to hire Matt Crocker to get back to the guy that was already there. Uh, and after everything that happened, we understand some players want him back. What about the players who don't want him mm -hmm. back? You know, there, there's, you could, you could assume what you want or who those players are. But we've heard so many names linked with the U.S. Men's National Team job. It just seems like there's a lack of ambition for actually trying to get a coach who can change the program. This is where the program was. Mm -hmm. You want to change the way people view American soccer. You want to change the program. Greg Berhalter doesn't speak that, doesn't, doesn't scream that to me. And that's where I'm a little lost on this. I'm very surprised. I am mm -hmm. very surprised we are here today with Greg Berhalter as a realistic option. The turn of events in the last 24 hours, I can't remember mm -hmm. something like this. Just a coaching news. It's just today, Jesse Marsh, no longer in. Patrick Vieira, uh, one of the top candidates. All of a sudden, Greg Berhalter from Club America mm -hmm. to the U.S. men's national team in the same breath. I'm in a loss for words. I don't know what to say besides that this just screams lack of ambition to me. Yeah. I'm with you on the ambition thing. I think this also comes down a lot to process, right? Because when Greg Berhalter was hired the first time, the complaints were not necessarily about Greg Berhalter, the candidate, or the choice. It was about the process. So you would have thought that this time around, 
U.S. soccer would make sure that there were no doubts about the process. And on paper, Herc, it seemed like they did. It seemed like they took the decision to hire Sportsology, hire Matt Crocker. And so you think, okay, you've kind of created this entirely different environment. There's a 0.0% chance that you're going to end up at the same conclusion. And yet, before Matt Crocker officially takes this job over full time, we've already decided that it's Greg Berhalter. The process just, things aren't adding up here. And I think that's what fans are going to complain about. Well, that's one of the things they'll complain about. It's just, it's an underwhelming hire for the for what fans were conjuring up in their minds could be a possibility. You really don't believe Burhalter can at all move this program forward? Sure. Do you think he's taken them as far as he could? Because that's know. really the question. If you, if you think he can take them further, then there's room for debate. What, you, I, what I don't think is he can take them the furthest. And, and, that's, where, and that's where I think mm. fans will, will agree and will be upset right. with this. Right. This, to me, is the a ambition. neutral move. Yeah, it's the ambition. It's, yes. You, it, you mentioned... Um, like, I think money is an important thing here, right? Because we heard from J.T. Batson, the CEO, uh, during the, at the very beginning of this process. And he, he kind of hinted that, not that there was no budget, but that there would be money coming into the Federation, that, that money wouldn't necessarily stop them from talking to people. Um, that, this, is, this is a guy, we know Greg Berhalter, we know what he makes. We know it's not going to break the bank at U.S. soccer. Obviously, you'll get a raise here, you, you would figure, because they're bringing him back. But you would have liked to see U.S. soccer say, you know what, we know we have a massive World Cup, and we really value this World Cup. We have to nail this, and the budget is $5, 10 $20 million, it's, whatever it's going to be, just and go out like and get that guy. It's a massive waste of time and resources. Like The fact that you're here right now with Greg Berhalter, it seems Do you give like... give them credit for at least taking six months to to try to look? No. Or do you say, no. now, if you were going to bring him back, what the hell were you doing for the last six months? That's exactly what I'm thinking. It's almost, I almost feel like right. you just got played. Right. It feels like there's a reason that all these calls from Anthony Hudson and the calls from, from uh, BJ Callahan were very Greg Berhalter-like, not just because they were part of his regime, but maybe Greg Berhalter all along had some form of communication or was involved in some way. Maybe they knew they would get here somehow, some way. And if it is Greg Berhalter, why is BJ Callahan coaching the Concacaf right. Nations League? Will Greg Berhalter now take over the Gold Cup? Like, there's so many questions that I have, but it just seems like a massive waste of time and resources and energy. Do you feel like U.S. soccer might have been pressured into this decision? And here's why I ask that. We have heard from so many agents around who is going to be the next manager for the men's national team. Of course, Jesse Marsh, his agent was online earlier today saying he's not going to get the job. That's not the type of behavior we usually see. Everybody's usually very close to the vest in these situations. But the agents were very loud on all sides. I wonder if the agents were sitting here saying, man, U.S. soccer's really taking their time. We want to get Greg Berhalter linked to Club America and Jesse Marsh linked to Monaco, and we want to make U.S. soccer rush. And maybe U.S. soccer shouldn't have rushed. Maybe they shouldn't have blinked. Maybe they should have said, you know what? If those guys get those jobs, fine, we'll move on to the next. But we are going to take our time. To me, this just feels rushed and almost like they got played uh, not by, by the other interest, right? By thinking, oh, we might lose Greg to Club America. We might lose Jesse to Monaco. Uh, and that's not how you make a decision. That's not how you make a good decision. No, it, you don't make rash decisions yeah. when you're talking about your future. When you're talking about 2026, which is the most or will be the most important moment in American soccer. Yeah. It's a reality. If 1994 was that watershed moment, was that turning point, mm -hmm. that party in the waters for U.S. soccer, 2026 has the ability to blow that out of the water. We're in a different time. This phone changes everything. This tablet, the news source, changes everything. Today, more than ever, you can accrue new fans. You can you can make headway in a market that you've never had before. And Greg Berhalter doesn't scream, look at us. 
we can go further. I wonder if he gets the three years. You know, that's the one thing. You take a decision like this, it does leave you an out, right? It, it, I'm sure it'll leave U.S. soccer out. If things go wrong in Copa America, if things go wrong in the Confederations Cup or whatever's going to be in 2025, uh, there will be opportunities to make a change. We saw from Mexico, they didn't make a change. Uh, right. We saw how that worked out. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Uh, So uh, we'll recap the highlights for the United States. uh, And obviously not highlights for Mexico, lowlights for Mexico. Diego Coca there. One of the few moments where he might have looked uh, relieved. Blonde Platinum Gio Reyna. 23rd minute is when Christian Pulisic came to life, pulling away from Edson Alvarez there, leaves everyone in his wake, and somehow missed it, Hurt. Uh, he just dragged the Mexican back line. A crazy run by Christian Pulisic that honestly deserved more, and I thought mentally he would have gone the other way after this miss. It was a massive miss, but no, he picked himself right back up. Yeah, I'd love to see it, and the reaction from the teammates, too, was very positive. U.S. pressuring here in the 37th minute scuffle. Edson Alvarez some tries a Pass it all the way back to Memo Choa. Goes off Jorge Sanchez. And who's there? Christian Pulisic. 1-0 U.S. Yeah, it was more of a difficult finish than the one he missed, uh, the, the sitter he missed. But circumstantial leads to him. He's first to it, onto his left foot, and great finish. First minute of the second half. U.S. off to a brilliant start. Pulisic the tap-in, 2-0, or 2-0. Yeah. Pulisic will get the goal here, but Timothy Weah, like, meek, meek, catch him if you can. And it started off a goal kick, just beautiful buildup. 69th minute, things starting to get chippy here. Cesar Montes going right through the back. A Falaren Balogun, he gone, red card. Yeah, it's a real shame, too, because he was having a good game before this. This is frustration seep, uh, seeping through. And then look at this, Weston McKinney's shirt ripped. He's kissing the badge, but he's going to get a red card that may prove costly. Weston McKinney off. Both teams reduced to 10 men. 78th minute, another chance for the U.S. Ricardo Pepe makes it three. Look at this, look at this. That's beautiful right there. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, beautifully timed run. Just goes around Memo Choa. Memo Choa can't do anything, slots at home, and it'll stand. Into the 85th minute, things getting even more chippy down there in the corner between Arteaga and Dest. Yeah, this starts off with Edson, but Arteaga jumps in, and it's right here to the face is when Dest takes exception. He goes to the face again. That'll be a double red card. You got to keep your cool there. You know you're going on to a final. It starts right there with Edson. Serginho was having a beautiful game. Should have just kept his cool, understood the moment. He didn't. He gone. So we finished 9-on-9, nine nine, but 3 nothing. 
the U.S. winners over Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semi-final. So then to be joined by our good friend Mauricio Pedrosa, who of course you know uh, co-hosts Ahora Nunca on ESPN Deportes with her. So we gave you a little bit of a break because you had to watch yeah. the whole second half. My apologies. It's okay. Uh, and then hustle over. It's all right. I know you've been talking to some of our colleagues from ESPN in Mexico. What's the, what's the vibe over there? Well, that, that was a complete S show, right? Uh, I was going to say that was the worst performance I've ever seen from a Mexican national team, but I'm going to I'm going to correct that statement. That's the most embarrassing performance I've seen right. from a Mexican national team. The worst team. would be 7-0. And there's a difference, right? Yeah. There's yeah. a difference from the worst to the most embarrassing. And and but but I do think this is a reflection of the decision making at the highest level as of recent. Not even after the World Cup. We have to go before that. And I know this is a new regime, but if anyone is surprised by what we saw there, then they have not seen much yeah, Mexican not soccer attention. lately. I'm honestly not that surprised that this happened. I was expecting a little more fight. I was expecting a little more quality. Um, but I think this is exactly what happens when there's no direction, when there's no leadership. We've been talking about this a lot recently. They made all the decisions the other way around. Right. They started naming the manager, and they then named the sporting director, and last the week president. they named the president of the federation. What would you? What did you expect? What did you expect? But in the end, even though the decision making has been abysmal, a performance like this also has to tell us that there's something really wrong with the players. Not only, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with executives, coaching staff, management, but what about the players? When are we gonna start pointing fingers at the players? Because it's one thing to lose a game. It's one thing to lose again against the United States of America, but not that way. So I think if this doesn't really change things, I don't know what will. Let me ask you this just real quickly. I don't have a mic. Is this lower than going out of the World Cup? You mean the last World Cup? This World Cup. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I think I think I think it is, and here's why. When the team didn't make it past group stage, we all saw we all saw it coming because of the way Tata Martino was handling the situation. We can blame Tata, right? Now he was gone. But the problems are still there. The performance is not there. The leadership is not there. And and the team has gone from bad to worse. Yeah. This is, to me, the most concerning element. After what happened in the World Cup, you, you were expecting to see some improvement. We haven't seen that. And I don't know what's going to happen to Diego Coca. I don't know if he's going to coach the Gold Cup. I doubt it. Seriously doubt it. You think it was that bad tonight? Yeah. I mean, because we talked I about... I think that's fireable. I think there was done tonight. There was something that happened after the final whistle. But, I mean, but, that is super telling. Let me tell you what okay. happened because that was not caught on camera. After the final whistle, Diego Coca walked to the center of the field, and when that happens, we've seen that players Go, and coach yeah. get together, small pep talk, and everybody walks to the dressing room. He was left alone by mm. the players. Mm. He was standing there by himself. No, no one player approached him. They all went straight to the locker. You're the player. What does that tell us? Yeah, there's a massive disconnect there. Uh, listen, we could sit here and try to make excuses for Diego Coca. He he wasn't around for the previous five games with the U.S. Men's National Team. He has no control of what happened after the 2000s with the U.S. Men's National in Mexico. He has no control over the financial priorities of the Federation, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what he did have control of? 
this not being a semifinal game between yeah. the U.S. versus Mexico and it being a final. He just had to get a result versus Jamaica at home. Didn't do it. He's also responsible for playing Henry Martin, who's not been in great form, over Santi Jimenez, who's been an absolute fire. He's also responsible for turning to a line of five and three center backs when the DNA of this Mexican national team pool isn't that. It's not defend. It's not counter. It's more proactive with the ball. He's at, he's, those are fireable offenses maybe because of the moment he's living in. Yeah. I find it very difficult to put everything on him. Uh, I think that there's a much more deep-rooted issues for the yeah. Mexican national team, but I will tell you this. What I saw from the Mexican national team tonight was one of the most embarrassing, and I agree with Mao, but historically bad performances, and they're lucky. The Mexican Federation is lucky. They've already qualified for 2026 because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being serious. I am being no, serious. No, I agree. I mean, I'm being serious. my life is just I, I am pity. being serious. <laughs> if this is a regular World Cup and not a 48 like you just mentioned, and they have to go play against Jamaica, who every day has more dual national players and, and better players. They've got to go play against an El Salvador who's well coached by Hugo Perez. They've got to go play against the U.S. men's national team. They've got to go play against Canada. They've got to play against what maybe, yeah. if the coach gets fired in, in Costa Rica, a generational change and maybe more players and we see the quality that Ticos have they've had in la over the last two decades. I seriously have my doubts if this is the performance, if they get out of CONCACAF that way, if there's a World Cup qualifying. Let's take a look at Mexico's 11. Because you guys are talking a lot about formations and Diego Coca. I want you to pick out a guy in this 11 that played well tonight. Because for me, I didn't see any quality from the Mexican players. And the gap from the Mexican players to the U.S. players yeah. was marked. And I'm not even talking about the guys that you don't expect much from, right? The Jesus Gallardo, Jorge Sanchez coming off a terrible season. I think it's a guy like Edson Alvarez or Belín Pineda. These are the guys that are coming off good seasons who are the peak of Mexican football. Or Belín Pineda, every time he got into the final third, not just missed the pass, missed the pass badly. Yeah. Edson Alvarez on Pulisic's goal. I don't know what he's thinking. That's the smartest player on the field. That's a guy in the sixth position. You cannot not make that mistake. We can talk about tactics, all that stuff. Mexico's players are just not that good right now. If I'm Edson Alvarez, I pray to God that no Borussia Dortmund scout this was This game was not attendance. on television in Germany. I hope, yeah. I hope no Borussia Dortmund scout was in attendance. And I was very surprised by the performance by Orbelin Pineda mm. because he had a fantastic season in the Greek League. Champion, scoring goals, assisting, really, really uh, reaching another level that we haven't seen from him in a long Long time but they're all part of the same system that's the problem it doesn't matter how good you are in a team sport and you can assess that better than us but in a team sport the lack of confidence the lack of leadership I'll, I'll, I'll share my video don't worry about it the lack of leadership I think even if you are at a very high level somehow it's gonna hinder you and that's what we saw from Orbelin Pineda and Edson Alvarez yeah, this is a, an interesting one for me because we, we at Nauseam, uh, we've spoken about the moment of the U.S. Men's National Team player pool, how it's the, not the greatest individual tournaments for them. Bad and, moment doesn't make you a bad player. No, but listen to this, though. Listen to this. So I, at Nauseam, I was on ESPN Deportes in Latin America today, every half hour on the hour, different shows with Mauricio, and they would point out, oh, the U.S., the individual player is not so great. You know, look, there's five titles on this side. Mm. You know, Santi Jimenez and the year he's and Chucky Lozano and Titles yeah. don't make you a good player. Relegations don't make you a bad player. And that's the thing. If you look at the quantity of players 
for the U.S. men's national team, when you have players who aren't in a great moment, you can go into the bench, bring on a Luca De La Torre. You can go into the bench, bring on a Ricardo Pepe. You can go into that role and say, you know what, I got this. When you're Mexico and you have so few players mm -hmm. playing abroad and that are successful, when they're not playing well, where do you go? You, you, you trot them right back out, I think, and that's, and that's what we saw tonight. And, and, and I also think one more thing. We saw the starting 11, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, we can agree that we would have we would have rather seen Santiago Jimenez starting over. That's Henry not a Martin. small decision for me. That's a. I get it. Yeah. I, I I understand. It is big, but do you really think there was the end result would have been different with Santi starting? I don't think. I, I say no. I, I don't think I, there's I, a manager I that could have made this Mexico no. competitive tonight. Yeah, but, world, I mean, but that's Guardiola. my question. But you saying the manager Guardiola can bring Guardiola Mourinho? The quality is just not there. And yes, I was completely shocked by Coca's decision not to start Santi. The numbers, the numbers are there in terms of the performance with the national team tonight. But when we, when you think about how impactful Henry Martin was for America, especially during La Liguilla, the playoffs, it wasn't really that big. And when you think about the performance by Santi Jimenez in that championship run in the, the Dutch league, that's gotta, that's gotta mean something. And apparently, didn't didn't mean much for Diego Coca. But again, in the end, even if Santi would have started, I do not believe that would have been enough for Mexico to have a different result tonight. Maybe not, but in a rivalry game like this, goals change games. And if you have Santi Jimenez, he gives you a, a different element, a different dimension, a player that you can try to play into space, a player that has speed, a player that's in a very good moment versus a Henry Martin who's gone cold the last, what, six Liga Mekis games? So what does Coca see there? Explain that to me. Because as a fan, as... as, as it's well, well, very I'm, much so. He's he, no, it's not even experience. It's not Henry Martin's not been dominating at the international Hold level. On, that's exactly I mean, right. Experience. No, no, no. I, I'm with you there because if you look at the players with experience versus yeah. Mexico, I mean, Uriel Antuna has a lot of experience with versus Mexico. It doesn't necessarily make him the best player for Mexico. Henry Martin offers him something that he was used to seeing in Atlas, that Julio Furch type of player. Mm. But that's not who this Mexican national team is. That's not the prototype for the Mexican national team player. They're, they're a team that, if you play to the strengths, it's not a defensive turn in the shell and try to counter type of team. So that's where I don't agree with any team, any Mexican team would have lost this or played bad this way uh, against the U.S. men's national team. Diego Coca set them up like this. Diego Coca set this team up mm. like this. Nobody told them to put Israel Reyes out there and go a line of three. Henry Martin, Santiago Jimenez, that was the uh, the big choice, but it's probably not the only big decision that he had to make, or thing you could even criticize in, in that in that 11. You look at how he set up the back, I mean, he's not picking players who are in particularly good moment. He's playing a three-back, a five-back, which is not necessarily how this Mexico plays. I feel like, and this goes back to Tata Martino at the World Cup, whenever a Mexican manager puts out an 11, they do something cute. They do something tinker. They do something that makes all, nine out of ten fans be like, what the hell? Like, yep. why are you starting Henry over Santi? Then you look at BJ Callahan, who we joke is the interim to the interim, the assistant to the assistant, and he nailed the lineup. Not one person complained about that lineup. Every single Mexico fan could have told you that lineup was was screwed. Why, why did Mexico coaches keep doing this? Why do they keep almost trying to prove how smart they are and doing these these things that are so obvious to everybody? Well, well in, this, in this particular case, Diego Coca was trying to save his job. So he was going with the, with the most experienced so lineup depressing. available. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I mean, yeah. but it, it only speaks to how, to the current situation of Mexican soccer. That guy was coaching for his job and he knew it. And I'm sure that he probably would have loved to start Julian Araujo instead of Jorge Sanchez. But he probably went like, well, Julian Araujo hasn't really 
played. He has trained with Barcelona, but he hasn't really played. I want to go with someone who has played, Jorge Sanchez. But that's that's where we go. That's where we, Seb, Kirk, me, that's where we go. But Jorge Sanchez hasn't been any good at Ajax. Why would you start someone that we know exactly what he's going to give us? We knew exactly how that was going to go down him playing against Christian Pulisic. We already knew. Then give the other guy a chance. And he didn't because he was afraid because he was coaching for his job. That's maybe the same reason why he started with Edson Alvarez, right? And we all thought, all right, if you want to start Edson Alvarez, then you, you can play two number eights box to box, be more aggressive. No, he decided to play with two, two uh, defensive, two holding midfielders, and the gap between those midfielders and the attacking players was massive. But the guy was coaching afraid, he was coaching for his job. That's why that starting 11 was a head scratcher, because we saw a lot of players that were not in really great shape, not in really great form. Is the concern here, Herc, that he won't or can't change? Because I saw your tweet, and I Obviously, hindsight's 2020, but basically they're saying this dude's a bad fit. Yeah, it's a bad fit from the get-go. He was also what everybody's fifth or sixth choice. Uh, his tactics, his style, just in general, don't fit the prototype of the Mexican player. Now, we've said this before. You you came on this very show and said you want a more pragmatic Mexico. I think I think generally for international football, a pragmatist is better. I mean, I don't want to play like that. But Here, I, here's where I, I want somebody a, that knows how to, you know, set up defensively. Listen, I, I, I think I think you don't have to die on your sword all the time. Can and be we brave can we and, for a second just point out the theological here? Okay, uh, we're talking about firing an individual who's had six games mm -hmm. with the Mexican national team and only lost once. Okay, we're talking about firing him. This process has been flawed, and it seems to me like there are hands in the cookie jar that aren't just. Cocas, Diego Cocas. And what I say, what I mean by that is if you look at the roster construction, mm. the makeup, what would you have given Mao to have a Diego Linus come off the bench tonight? <laughs> he's not even in not even just in the Nations League roster. He's not even in the Gold Cup he's roster. He's on Instagram. He's on Wasn't Instagram. Even watching the game. He's on Instagram. So that to me shows me it's not just Diego Coca making these decisions, and that's the same problem mm. that's always plagued Mexican football. You know the inner workings of FMF, you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent And here's a cherry on top. The guy who is going to make the final decision, he didn't appoint Diego Coca. Exactly. And there's another element to that. The new, the new president of the Mexican Soccer Federation, Juan Carlos Rodriguez. You know who's got his ear? Jesus Martinez. Ah, and, and what does he think you of know, Diego Coca? You know, you know, you know who Jesus right. Martinez wants the manager to be? Almada. Guillermo Almada. And who was probably, I'm not going to say unanimous, but like a very high consensus of experts and pundits that said, well, there's probably two guys for this job. It's either Nacho Ambris, mm -hmm. but the most likely option is Guillermo Almada. So now, now, this becomes the perfect storm for another fight for the power of the Mexican Soccer Federation. Because before was someone that you know very well, Alejandro Aragorri, who was really, really pushing to have Diego Coca as a manager. He had his own. And Diego Coca is now the manager. But now that there's another president in the federation, I think that's why it's now more likely than never that Diego, than Diego Coca, and we're just waiting to hear from him in a few minutes, but I, I hear and I do believe there's a huge chance he won't be the mm. manager next week at the Gold Cup. Uh, okay, I want to get an answer from both of you on this. Okay. Give me a percentage okay. that start. Coca makes it to the Gold Cup. 
thirty percent. Wow. That he 70%, makes it. That he makes it out before the I Gold think, Cup. I think right now he's thirty percent. Would that be the right call? Because you know we can criticize and say he's, he's terrible. Da-da. He had success with Atlas. He clearly know you know has had success in in Mexican football, and he's six games. Six games. I'll tell you why okay. I think okay. it's the right call. Because the environment is way too toxic. And the Gold Cup's not going to be enough. Mm. Even if he goes and has a good Gold Cup and wins the Gold Cup, what are we going to say? Well, but the U.S. Men's national team was not the greatest. Well, Canada maybe is going to also rest some of the stars. So even if Diego Coca stays put and wins the Gold Cup, we're going to have something to diminish that success. In the, um, I haven't seen this toxic environment for a new manager in a long time. Mm. Because for Juan Carlos Osorio, it was two great years until that loss against Chile in the Copa America. And now with Tata Martino, we had two great years with Tata Martino. And then we all know what happened. I do not remember, I do not remember a manager starring his regime with this toxic environment. And I don't think that's going to change. So if you want to clear things, if you want to make things a little easier for the players, you got to change the manager. Mouse says 70% he's gone by the start of the Gold Cup. What are you saying? Higher or lower? Um, no, I'll go 50-50. I think it really is a toss-up. And I, I, I have if seen... You were, if you were the president of FMF, what would you do? You made your bed. You may, it's illogical. Yeah. It's, it's just illogical. But, but we spoke about the process, and I'm sure many of you have seen a video surfacing online of the, of the suite, the federation officials in the suite, and in that box is Christian Bragarnik. He's a player agent. That never happens anywhere else with a serious federation. Coca's agent, yes. And he happens to have his hands in Mexican mm-hmm. football right now. What I will say about that 50-50, and now touched on, he's never seen anything like that so toxic. I think I have. I think I have. Uh, Chapo de la Torre, uh, that, that whole process, you, you went through four coaches. One had a 36-hour Hey, don't run. forget Chepo's start. Chepo's start was really good. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but then it got really bad. You remember them starting versus Jamaica and the Hex? Like, things got really toxic really quick. Now what's Chepo's doing? This isn't Diego Coca's doing entirely. That's why, for me, it would be a bit unfair. They've already made their bed. You could say he's not the right man, and I agree with you. But wow, that's just, if Diego Goga goes, there are a lot other people above him that should go as well. Mm. Then that's just, that's a fact. All right, so six straight games where the United States has either won or drawn against Mexico, avoiding defeat. As we look at the rivalry, kind of big picture, Mal, where does this leave the rivalry from the Mexico perspective? Oh, I mean, we, I've, I've said this before on this very same show. I mean, there's there's no doubt that that uh, the U.S. has now the upper hand, and it, and it's it's domination. Hurt, <laughs> hurt, hurt me saying something earlier today on ESPN Deportes when we were when we were referring to the rivalry. I said, well, there's just one way right now for Mexican soccer to address U.S. soccer, and it's to call them their daddy. Mm. I didn't. Well, you said that? Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Told you that. You didn't hear me? I heard you. Yeah, yeah, you heard me. You heard, no, 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 no. You heard me saying that. Uh, and, then, and that's just the reality of things uh, at, at club level. I know Leon beat LAFC, but we've seen that that bridge becoming smaller and smaller at club level. But at national team level, I mean, there's not even an argument right now. And it's not only the results head to head, right? I think it's a realization that. 
even though now, by the way, can I just express my congratulations on Greg Berhalter returning as the manager of the U.S. men's national team. My guy, Greg Berhalter, I'm so happy to see you returning. But the process is way more advanced. It's in better shape, way better shape now for the U.S. Looking forward, looking ahead to 2026 than for the Mexican national team. So at this point, I would, I would put it this way. There's no rivalry. There's domination. And that's the U.S. over Mexico. I would make the case, Herc, that in the back and forth historically of this rivalry, it has never swung this far to the side of the United States. Would you agree? I'm trying to think. My, my generation had a pretty good run against Mexico as well. I don't I, remember you guys dominating Mexico like no, this. No, no, no. I, I, I don't think there And was I don't remember looking at your roster compared to Mexico's roster and seeing a clear gap in talent. Sorry. <laughs> um, you, no, you may be right. You may be right, but it shows you, it shows you how far the U.S. Men's National Program has come. Listen, Mal's not going to let me lie here, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up anybody. Um, Mexican fans, Mexican pundits are very proud mm. individuals. Um, I've played in Mexico in Liga Mekis, and if there's one thing that's part of the fabric of everyday life, it's football. And there's one thing that they hang their hat on that they were superior mm -hmm. to the region at, it is football. And especially against the United States men's national team. It was a rivalry till it wasn't, right? And what I mean by that is it just became a rivalry in the 2000s because it really wasn't before that. Mexico would dominate, so there's this sense of, well, we should continue to dominate because we're Mexican football, because we're historic, because somos el grande. Esto es un baño de humildad. Mm. This is really a humbling moment where they got to take a firm and realistic look in the mirror and say, we're not doing things the right way. We need to change. If not, we're going to get lapped. Yeah. I'd point to the frustration, Mal. Like, you saw it in the fans and their behavior. You saw it in the players. I feel like everyone around Mexican football is, is kind of grasping at straws right now, especially when it comes to the comparison to the United States. Yeah, and um, we were in the press box watching the game, and this is probably the first time that I've seen my Mexican colleagues pretty much surrendering to the fact that the columns that they're going to have to write, mm. that the reports that they're going to have to make for their media outlets are pretty much going to have to start with, yeah, they're, they're, they're better than us. Yeah. And the worst part is you, they can be better. The U.S. can be better than Mexico. That's okay. It's not a problem. When you know how you can probably pick yourself up, start working, right. and try to compete again. But the problem is that nobody has the answer for that question. Where do you start? By changing managers? Where do you start? By moving, by moving players around? Where do you start? Yeah. And there's no clear answer for that. But I don't know if you guys saw this. I know you had to leave early to, to, to jump on Football Americas, but I was talking to a lot because we've seen these colleagues for 15 years covering the Mexican national team. And if there's one thing that they were trying to hold on is to finally admitting that at this point there's no going back. The U.S. men's national national team dominates the Mexican national team. And I saw in their faces that I don't want to have to write this, but I'm gonna because I'm here just to tell the truth. And that's just the reality of things. U.S. Three nothing winners uh, over Mexico in Las Vegas. Before we check the mentions, last word to you quickly. Yeah, I will just say this. Uh, the U.S. has won these last, uh, they're undefeated in the last six. But if there's anything that Mexican fans could, could maybe say is like, in four of those outings, they played better than the U.S. The thing is, the U.S. won. They found ways to win. I don't think it's all is lost for Mexican football, but there needs to be a very sobering moment when it comes to how they're running things. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's uh, check the mentions here. You've heard enough from us. Let's see what the good folks on social media are saying. I think we got a, at least a few questions about Greg Berhalter. Of course, the uh, news breaking in the middle of the game. Shout out to our buddy Paul Tenorio, who gets the credit. Brett, the first one in, he says, so with Triple G's return, we have to see him coach in the Gold Cup, no? If not, why not? If the contract is finalized, we cannot waste time again. Herc, Greg Berhalter back for the Gold Cup, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to hire the guy, make him work, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're not going to put B.J. Callahan out there again. No, no, and you're not going to. Tomorrow there will be an announcement. We know that. What they will announce, we all assume, will be Let me ask you this. Do you bring him in for the final? Or do you give Callahan a final? If you already know and he's already done and we're going to get an announcement tomorrow. And he's, and, and he's already talking to B.J. Callahan, and it's all just everybody wants him back, and it's all just plug and play. I mean, if this is a charade and this is what's been going on the whole time, then, then yeah. 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 I mean, that's a reality. Don't just keep him out in the wings. If you really think time is valuable, let him work. Whether you agree that it's the right decision or not. I mean, you wouldn't bring a coach in in the middle of a tournament, right? That'd be Well, what tournament? It's, a, it's, it's one game. Yeah. It's not the middle of the tournament. It's, it's one game, and it's against a team that's a very well-coached team. I wouldn't put anything past no, anyone at this point. That that's it got announced thing. that the news broke you, in the middle of this you? game. <laughs> Listen. I don't think Greg Berhalter should coach the Gold Cup. I don't think there's a... I mean, what are you going to get from that if you're not going to be able sure. to have your, your A team, right? And he knows most of these players. The coaching staff is still there, basically, right? He's coaching staff. I mean, but then you're just hiding him. Then you're just protecting him. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think Greg Berhalter wants that. No, you know? no, no. I mean, there, I don't think he can win much. By winning the Gold Cup. Yeah, but by, he doesn't need to. The goal. Because, because, exactly. Because, because the fans feel how they feel about exactly. him. And he the Federation clearly feels how You know, know how I feel about, about Greg Berhalter? You, you know, know I wanted him at Club America. Club America. Ah. I wanted him. How bad did I want Greg Berhalter for Club America? Some people just want to watch the world burn. Hey. <laughs> I mean, we do like we do like polemica here on, on Football Americas. All right, let's get to uh, our next question here on Check Dimensions. Comes from Stevie's makeup artist. All right, Steve Nickel getting some love. How does Reyna react to this news? On top of that, how do you think players like Brooks and Scally feel tonight? Of course, Joe Scally uh, came on this show. Didn't take shots at Greg Berhalter, but definitely said, you know, they want a coach that doesn't treat it like a club team. How do you think he'll react? Should be a little worried. You think so? You think? Yeah, listen, I, I don't think Greg's... Think a, Greg Berhalter watches Football Americas? Is that what you're saying? I, I know he does. I don't, I don't think Greg Berhalter's a vengeful person by any means, mm -hmm. but, but you do notice things, right? You are sure. human. Sure. Uh, it, it is part of that process. And Joe Scally, that's going to be a learning moment for him. Because you put something out there, mm -hmm. then I could get back to Greg Berhalter. And, and Gio Reyna... Gio Reyna's a special talent, and I don't think anything should jeopardize the process of Gio Reyna with the U.S. men's national team, but this is an elephant in the room. 
And that will be one of the first hmm. topics of discussion with Greg Berhalter amongst the media. Is when they finally get a chance to ask him, one of the first questions that will be asked will be about Christian, Poli or excuse me, about Giovanni Reina and the elephant in the room and how they can move past that. Hmm. How he, Gio Reina, and this program go towards that will be an interesting topic of discussion because we had Matt Turner on our show and Matt Turner called those people who question mm -hmm. the program vultures. Mm -hmm. so you, he called you a vulture. Well, I think he was <laughs> talking about you. But, <laughs> but, but, but what I'm saying is he feels that way. Imagine how Greg or mm. Gio feel about certain situations. Don't you think, don't you think that at this point, if the, if the U.S. men's national team, the federation, sporting directors, U.S. soccer, they have made the decision to bring him back, don't you think that it is because they probably know that this will be water under the bridge? That a conversation was probably already then held between the parties involved in this situation. I don't know. I'm 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 just I'm just stating a question. I'm I'm not saying that happened, but uh, but I'm saying if he's coming back because yes, it, if if they if they haven't had the conversation, then it is the elephant in the room. You're asking if they've if they've done this in a perfect process. If they've asked every question. If they've done in their the due vacuum, diligence. Yes. And the guy who's making the hire has not even taken the job full time yet. So I think you know if if we think that they've really checked every box, and I, I just can't believe that. You know. And I don't think I think you have to make the hire based on what you think is the coach, not whether you think Gio Reyna and him are going to get back, get it along. I think that's how the federation approached it. <laughs> you don't think so? I'm, I'm sure there must have been discussions amongst them about how the reaction would be uh, with yep. Gio Reyna and whatnot. But yep. I think they they don't care because a new cycle will take care of this for them. Yeah, this will be buried next month, you know, after the first or second time that they're together and whatnot. And it maybe only resurfaces when there's a bad moment or when there's a Gio Reyna uh, visual look or a shrug or whether some, when something happens, but it will be buried by the news cycle, unfortunately. Well, let's keep the news cycle moving here on Football Americas with the next question from Check Dimensions. Always glad for your participation in the show. This one comes from Jogotaka, always sending us questions. They say, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Does Mexico need to leave the Coca at the party and do some serious soul searching. I don't know what to say about that question. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of wordplay in there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you're bilingual. Um, yeah. Um, listen, it'd be, it's, we just uh, yeah. we touched on this. It'd be very, very unfair, I feel, for Diego Coca. He's got some responsibility but there, to this but as we're well. But we're in Vegas. Yes. There is such thing as throwing you know, good money after bad money. Like when you've made a mistake, sometimes you got to acknowledge the mistake. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. And you are saying that it's a mistake, so why not acknowledge it? Because that's not the only mistake. That's, uh, to me, that wasn't the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake was the the way you went about this process. Was all the hands in the is all the hands in the cookie jar. I, I don't think Diego Coca is out at the moment. Mm. But they got a third place game to play mm. against Panama without Cesar Montes, who's arguably one of their best players. How that goes, that could really be the nail in Diego Coca's coffin. Uh, Coca's future, Mao, is it more based on federation inner workings or fan media pressure? Because I feel like fan media pressure right now is going to be all-time high. Yeah, but fan media pressure is never as important as federation pressure. Um, our, our producer just shared with me Diego Coca's words during his presser. I, I had I had some, some expectations that he might resign. He didn't. And he said something that is even more disappointing because he pointed to 
the U.S. men's national team having their A team. He said, he uh -huh. named all the European players were here. We did not have Chucky Lozano. We did not have Tecatito Corona. And he even went to the lengths of saying, and we did not have Raul Jimenez. Wow. As, as the excuse of why. Did Tyler Adams while he was talking about that? No. Yes. No. If he knows who Tyler Adams is, I'm joking. Of course he knows he is. I'm Puro pretexto. But listen, that's, that, that's, that's more of him just at this point just covering his his rear end yeah. his 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 behind and just fighting clawing for his job at this point so yeah i mean it's just disappointment after disappointment again I don't know what's going to happen against Panama. The third third place match is a match nobody wants to play. That's how they name it, right, sometimes. Uh, I don't think that's going to change much. I think if he's going to go, it will be based on that performance. And, and one more thing, what we saw from the players fighting, losing control, being irresponsible, that never happened to Tata Martino. That's, that's another element of... Embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Remember so when Club America got rid of Piojo? Like, it's kind of like completely that. losing control. So if you're not even able to inject some discipline at these players, then who's, who's going to do it? All right, we got to move on. We will have plenty more time yeah. to talk about this uh, on tomorrow's show. Let's get to the team that will meet the United States in the final on Sunday. Canada taking on Panama in the early game here in Las Vegas. Canada. 25th minute attacking down the left side. Jonathan David makes it 1-0. The best nine in the region right there. Slick movement, easy finish with the left foot. What can you say about Jonathan David? It looks like he's going to be the $50 million man soon. Canada up 1-0. Panama with a chance here. Boyan with the big save. Yeah, Boyan was secure. I mean, it's almost right at him. There's a lot of movement. He does well to parry that away. Canada. Pretty comfortable throughout most of the first half. But another chance here for Panama, scrapping away at the door. Okay, this is a massive save. He leans one way, gets caught. I don't know if there was a deflection there, but it's a massive a reaction save. one nothing into the second half. 59th minute, Canada on the attack. Big save off the line. At first, folks in the stadium thought this was in. I thought that was in. That's a dirty save. My Kyle Laren got robbed. Panama hanging in. But in the 69th minute, Canada through Alfonso Davies off the bench and onto the score sheet. Yeah, Bundesliga winner, the best player in CONCACAF. He wants to play as a winger. I don't know why. Look <laughs> at that. Put me up top, coach. Canada. Up 2-0 late and things getting chippy. Uh, uh, Michael Davis. That was just that Eric was just, Davis there. Oh, Eric the, uh, excuse me. Red card as Panada, uh, Panama, excuse me, reduced to 10 men. And Canada win by a final score of 2-0. It'll be USA Canada in the final on Sunday. We'll preview that game on tomorrow's edition of Football Americas, but real quick, a thought on what we saw from the Canadians today. Professional performance, very yeah. solid. And their two biggest stars came out to play. This is a very well-coached team, a difficult team, disciplined team that I think is going to give the U.S. a lot of problems. But what I saw from the U.S. team tonight was was something different. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they, I, I picked Canada as my winner in this tournament. You did pick them as your, as your favorite yes, coming in, yes. right? Yeah. And I'm still going to hold on to that because I think they're a consistent team. But, wow, what the U.S. men's national team showed me tonight, it's given me uh, some headaches and I'm second-guessing myself. You know, Mal, what's interesting about this Canada team and the performance tonight, it's very comfortable. They play in a manner that they didn't really play throughout qualifying, which is kind of as the favorite, as the protagonist. And they do with Alfonso Davies coming off the, off bench. the bench. Jonathan 
Osorio also didn't start yeah. this game. So a Canada team that we kind of knocked a little bit, especially at the World Cup for not having depth, they showed you they got some depth. They got some quality. At this level, yes. For the region, absolutely, they do. And they have the process very, very, very well ironed. And they, they know exactly what they are. They know exactly what they do well. And those few things that they do not do well are excellent at covering them so that they don't show up. And the fact that you can play this well with Alfonso Davies coming off the bench tells you that the process really works and it's not based on individual performances but in a collective effort that is very well understood by every single player on that roster. That's the uh, Phil Neville effect. Mm. They got, a, they got a killer instinct to them, this Canada team. Yeah. Something we don't always see They're, from, from uh, Listen, we, we mentioned, we mentioned uh, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. We didn't mention Tejon Buchanan. We didn't mention Estacchio, who was a champion at Porto. Uh, Kone, who came out, who's a very good player in that midfield. They're a very good team. I mean, is this, they're going to make any team have fits. Yeah. USA-Mexico used to be the premier rivalry in this region. Maybe soon we'll be saying the same about the United States against Canada. Mm. Ah, come on. USA, Canada for the CONCACAF Nations League crown on Sunday here at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. It'll be the first competitive meeting between these two teams in a final. Incredible stuff. And each side winning two of the last five games. Canada and the U.S. for CONCACAF bragging rights Sunday in the City of Sin. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get out of here, how about some news from Liga MX, Club America. Andres Jardine set to take over. Club finally naming a successor to Tano Ortiz. Jardine, 43 years old, spent the last couple years at Atletico San Luis. Of course, before that, led Brazil to a gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. This coming amidst reports that Greg Berhalter was being considered for the job. Of course, we now know that's not the case. Uh, Mal, your thoughts on the Jardine hire here for Club América as a fellow Americanist? So, uh, I like the hire. I think he's a very capable manager. I didn't like the way he ended up being the manager of Club America because they had 26 days to make this mm -hmm. decision and Andres Jardine is just only 250 miles north of Mexico City. That must have been a, an easier decision but the fact that Santiago Baños, the club sporting director, took this long to finally appointment and Club America had to pay, by the way, according to my sources, $2.4 million to Atletico San Luis so that they could release Andres Jardine for his contract. I mean, this was very poorly handled by Club America, but 
in the end, if this is going to bring them the good manager that they needed to take the next step, then it will be worth it. That is the question. I don't know if Andres Jardinet is the manager that they needed to perform better in La Liguilla, in the playoffs, than Santiago Solari or than Tan Ortiz. Is he an upgrade over Tan Ortiz, Herc? It's a very underwhelming hire. Really? Yeah, this is, I mean, we, 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 we talked about coaching hires right now. I, he's easily fifth, sixth choice. Think about it. Would you take him Burhalter over him? Uh, you know that? No, because of the circus that would have brought and for both, for both club and and, and Greg Berhalter. Uh, Jardine is a, a coach that in San Luis, who's had some interesting names in their roster over the years, uh, has managed to get one season with 19 points, the other season with 18 points. We've seen coaches do more with less. Larcamona Puebla, for example, um, a very interesting uh, coach. So Almada, Almada as well. I, this to me was them settling. This yeah. is Club America settling and it's it's kind of if you think about it a very sobering moment because nobody used to say no to Club America. Mm. Nobody. Diego Alonso took the luxury of saying no, I don't, I'm not right now, I don't want Club America. We heard that Greg Berhalter and Aguirre also said no to Club America. Club America used to be the top destination mm -hmm. for anybody, player and coach. It was where you wanted to be. It's sort of a hot potato club right now, and the, we, the reason I say that is because there are coaches who are thinking, wait a second, so I'm not going to get to spend as much as Los Regios, Tigres, or Monterrey. They'll have much more money but to spend. But I got that pressure. But I have to be champion, mm -hmm. and if not, because the last two guys who have been here, they literally were first place in regular season, and they went out being hated because they weren't champions. Like, that's the expectation. And if I don't get there, I'm going to be a hated individual. Nah, it's not worth it for me. To your point about the process, Mal, what, what really a head scratcher here is not necessarily Jardine. Um, it's, it's the money that you're talking about combined with the money that we see them spending on, on Kevin Alvarez. Mm -hmm. And then we see Santiago Baños, the president, come out and say, well, we can only spend what comes in. They're getting all this money. They're spending it. I don't know that they're making the team any better. I don't know if they're spending it or they're wasting it, right? Mm -hmm. Two different things. Um, if you're going to spend that much money on a right back, that's concerning. When you and have a right if, back? And if when you, when you already have a right back. And if Atletico San Luis is doing a better job at scouting managers than Club America, that's also concerning. And if you are the biggest, most important club in Mexican soccer, and you have a manager like Diego Alonso, who's not, who's not Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho, Diego Alonso. And he says no, then there's something wrong inside that club. There's something wrong with the sporting direction yeah. of the team. And I think that's proof of that. Now, again, Andres Jardine, from what I've heard, excellent at creating great groups of players, has close connection with the players, culture, yeah. culture great culture, and is also an expert at developing young talent. Mm. If that's going to be a switch of philosophy for Club America, but they're not going to spend more money on important players and they're going to rely on the academy, if they're going to rely, because the under-20 and the under-17, they've won titles recently, and if that's the plan with Andre Jardine, I'm curious, but don't expect championships then. If the expectation is to win a championship right away, I don't think he was the right guy for that job. All right, let's keep talking, coaches, but let's switch to the National Women's Soccer League because a team that you guys both follow very closely is about to have a new head coach. Angel City FC has fired Freya Coombe halfway through the franchise's 
second season. Angel City in the midst of a six-game winless streak. They are currently tied for last in the league table with the KC current assistant coach Becky Tweed will take over on an interim basis. Again, Angel City has fired their coach Freya Coombe after just a year and a half in charge of the team. Lots of buzz around this team. Great brand, great in-stadium experience, but this shows her you got to win. You got to win, especially in L.A. L.A. loves a winner, and you built a great brand. You just didn't build a good roster, and that's it could be a bit of bad luck as well with all the injuries. Some of your prime players, big players, have been injured. Christian Bress has been injured. Yeah. She's not really starred for, for uh, Angel City. Sydney LaRue this season has been injured. Like, your big players haven't been there, haven't responded, but it's also just a poorly constructed team. Mm, yeah. And for all the success they have off the field, at the end of the day, you have to have success on the field to make it count. Angel City right now tied for last in the NWSL. They will be looking for a new coach. I bet it'll be a job that gets a lot oh, yeah. of interest. All right, let's move along. Talk some fashion sense while we're here in Vegas. Uh, F1 here this weekend. This is Union Omaha's Pride Month kit. They're calling it their Love in All Shapes third kit. Herc, what do we think here? That is fire. That is drip. Like fire could be wet and mm -hmm. dripping. Like that's what it would be. Mm -hmm. uh, my friends at Union Omaha already know I'm a large. Send it this way home. That's right. We have Union Omaha kits from last year, but we we would never want to wear anything outdated on Football America. So I I, I I I used to be large. I'm an extra large right now, to be honest. And I know you guys have do have it large, uh, but I'm a huge huge fan of that kit, man. That's amazing. That's very very well done. Yep. Shout out to Union Omaha. A dripping third kit. Love in all shapes. Uh, great stuff from them, always nailing the jerseys uh, down in USL. Shouts to our friends in Nebraska. All right, time for our parting shot. About a player you guys may have heard a little bit about over the last, I don't know, week or so. Lionel Messi bringing these skills to Inter-Miami and Major League Soccer, scoring 79 seconds arc, into the game against Australia. Dude is washed. <laughs> Like, why, 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 why bring him? He's but as watched. our good friend Max Bredos tweeted, can he do it on a hot <laughs> night in Fort Lauderdale? Like, like, what do you want? It's messy, and he's doing messy things. I'm all for it. Come on. Yeah. Uh, big statement after the game. He was asked if he was excited, looking forward to joining Inter Miami. He said no. <laughs> he said, now I want to go on vacation, rest, and then I'll think about the job. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that was an interesting statement. Are you excited to join Inter right now? No. I want to go on vacation. I'm looking forward to that vacation. <laughs> yes. He's got a uh, testimonial, I think, coming up with uh, Juan Roman yeah. Riquelme, right? Yeah. So, uh, and Maxi. And Maxi again. There you go. So he'll get some, uh, some game action before he's uh, back in Inter-Miami. We will be back tomorrow, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. Full preview of the United States, Canada. We will also be breaking down all the new news that we have about Greg Berhalter's likely appointment as U.S. men's national team manager. From Mauricio Pedrosa, Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching this edition uh, of the show. I and blame we will Paul see you Tenorio. in 24 hours right here on ESPN+. Once again, the final score from Las Vegas. You okay? Three for the U.S. Tres. A cero for Mexico. <laughs> Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI 
to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.